This is the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Fur Neiman. If you're looking to generate wealth and passive income in the lucrative world of mobile home parks, you're in the right place. You'll discover solutions to the common legal and operational pitfalls and how to optimize parks to maximize income. Your host is in the trenches. He's a real estate attorney, financial analyst, and mobile home park investor and operator. Now, let's turn it over to Ferd Neiman. Welcome back, Mobile Home Park Nation. Ferd Neiman here again today with another episode of the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast. My guest today, he's out of Minneapolis. He's got a unique business opportunity and a unique uh, business plan. They, they'll buy your park-owned homes. A lot of people in this industry, they don't like park-owned homes. They don't want them. They're a maintenance headache. They're an operational headache, et cetera. But this guy, Chris Murray, he's your guy. Uh, he's buying them. So reach out to Chris. You'll get his information at the end of this podcast. But uh, welcome to the show, Chris. Thanks for coming on, man. Hey, thanks for appreciate you having me. You got it. Well, it's a, I just gave a real brief introduction of you, but tell us a little bit more about yourself and, and your company because it's a... I think most many of us are familiar with Lonnie Dealers and the book Deals on Wheels by Lonnie Scruggs. That's not you. So maybe tell us what Lonnie Dealers are and we cover that. Tell us what you guys do and, um, and what state you're operating in and we'll go from there. Yeah. So um, I'll give you a little bit of my background because I'm a little eclectic of how I found my way to MH uh, business. But uh, I think everybody has kind of a unique story from when I listened to it. You know, they've deviated uh, from a path that they didn't intend to be on. Um, but they found themselves here. So, you know, like many of those other people, um, I, I really have been in the sports marketing world for 25 years. I've owned my sports agency, represented athletes in the NFL, NBA, men's and women's golf, Olympic athletes, and action sports athletes. I've owned an indoor golf instruction franchise business that I've had for 16 years. I sold that a few months ago and have been in healthcare, uh, been in technology, um, with different uh, startup companies and also commercial real estate. So the way I found myself in the MHC was my partner, uh, Jim Davis, founded GoFresh Homes. And he did so after a 28 year banking career. He was the president, youngest president of a bank called First Bank in Colorado. Our headquarters is based in Evergreen, Colorado. It's in the beautiful foothills right right above Denver on the front range there. And um, so Jim and I went to high school together. We grew up in uh, a, a suburb called Inglewood of Denver, played in the same high school football team, won the state championship and been close, you know, for all those years. So when Jim left that banking career, he started studying affordable housing. And as he did so, it led him to manufactured housing and then into mobile home parks and then into uh, the mar- market that we live in, which is that uh, POH space, uh, park on home space. So, uh, Jim asked me to join him because he wanted to try to scale the business that he had been uh, beta testing uh, with a $2 million fund uh, to go and buy some of those rental homes, put them in a portfolio and pay a preferred return back to his investors. So as he looked to scale the ability to do that in larger buys, uh, he needed greater capital. And I had that background of capital raising. So I took a look at the business and decided that it was um, what I call one of the more sexy, non-sexy businesses <laughs> out there, right? Everybody, you say mobile homes, and everybody's like got this perception. Everybody knows the reason why, because the trailer home, trailer park image. And, um, and at the same time, when you look at the cash flow and you run the math on it, you're like, okay, even though this perceptually from the outside looks non-sexy, it's very sexy. So that's kind of, um, you know, how we got into it. So the difference differentiation uh, from a Lonnie dealer is that in the five and a half years we've been 
owning and operating our company, we have never moved one of the park owned homes that we've purchased from park owners. And so our, our model is that we go in with these uh, park or these community owners and we, um, you know, I kind of use the term back in, in my NFL days and I still represent NFL players currently, but um, when you have 31 uh, teams that say no to your player, there's 32 teams in the NFL, but one says yes, that is called one man's trash is another man's treasure. And you can do a multi-million dollar contract with that one player, with that one team, everybody's happy, including his family. Right. So it, it, you know, we kind of see park on homes like that. Everybody says when they hear our model, wow, you guys are really smart. Wow, this is brilliant. Yada, yada. <laughs> and then they go, I'm so glad it's you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Pretty much. So, you know, park on homes, just for the reasons you mentioned early on with the operational concerns and the maintenance and, um, you know, really locking up from a viewpoint of a community owner, that capital in an inefficient way, we said, okay, we get it. But if we can get this model to scale and do it in the right way, only getting it to scale doesn't make sense. And so our business model is to work with community owners to go in and make offers on their park-owned community or their uh, rental homes and roll them up and aggregate them into a portfolio of homes where then we come in and put our property management company behind them and operate, uh, own and operate them. And, um, you know, really take that pain point off of that park owner, also uh, off of the park manager and then, um, you know, do it in a majorly professional way. There's plenty of third-party owned homes in parks across the country, as you know, for, uh, but they don't always get a good rap because they're uh, ineffective property managers. And so our goal is to really have, we have a 20-year vet, a president behind our property management company that, um, you know, comes behind us and has a team that manages these homes in a very professional way so that your community doesn't lose any of, um, you know, the beauty that you've built either in a value add project or something that you bought that stabilized that you want to maintain that same, uh, look and feel. Okay. Well, sounds good. Lots to unpack there. Let me, I got a couple quick questions for you here. What States are you guys currently in and what States are you looking to expand in, in the next couple of years? We're currently in South Carolina, Texas, Utah, uh, Colorado, and uh, Louisiana. We are looking at portfolios of homes all across the country. We have okay. not done anything in California, New York, Cook County um, by way of evaluating them. California, probably a little more interesting than Cook County and New York. Um, but, uh, you know, primarily we'll look at any state that makes sense. And part of our, our scaled approach is being able to um, be smart about where we buy so that we can regionalize our, you know, full-time employees around the management of those homes. Okay. Make, makes sense. What's the smallest portfolio. If I have one home to sell, you probably don't want it in my gut, but is it five? The minimum is 10, is it 50? 10 I'd say is the, is the minimum. Um, you know, and it just depends. I mean, if, if the, if the, you know, we've talked to new park buyers that don't want to lock their capital up for obvious reasons into those park owned homes. And, but we also know that they've got a great ambitions to grow. So we can be a great sidecar with park ownership groups that, you know, want either to, to buy heavy POH parks, but don't want their capital soaked into those <clears throat> to come alongside of them or to, um, you know, when they're buying smaller parks, but they just don't want to own the, the POHs. Uh, and, and also because, you know, they're a land co in mindset and they don't property manage well. Sure. And I can see where that'd be attractive on the forefront for a lot of park owners. 
as a park owner myself, my concern would right off the bat would be, what if you move the homes out? So what are you guys doing to protect me on that? Presumably a long-term lease. And then what about the rent and great rent rates? Do you, are you negotiating one, two, five, 10 year, whether fixed or graduated rent increases? Cause there's always the risk as a mass as a, as a park owned park owned homeowner that what if I increase your rent $500 a month? Well, that's going to obviously eat into your margin. You're not going to like that. So that, that kind of has to go both ways, I would think. And then my other concern would be, I have to worry about the number of homes that somebody else owns in a park in order to get on agency financing. And if that's my goal, some parks, for example, I'm refinancing a park right now, actually, it doesn't qualify for agency because there's only 20 pads. It's in a nice market, 60,000 a pad, but it's not 50. So it can't, it won't qualify for Fannie or Freddie right now. So that would be a park where maybe I'd say, oh, I'll sell you some of them. But if it's a park that I'm trying to uh, tune up to get to Fannie Mae, there's a, there's restrictions on, how many park park owned homes I can own. And then there's restrictions on how many park owned homes one person can own. That's not me. And sometimes the bank will say, Chris can only own one. Sometimes they may, I've seen some CMBS loans will say, well, you can have five, Chris can have five. But if I sell Chris 10, that becomes problematic for me. So what are you guys doing to address some of those park owner concerns while also protecting your own interest? So to answer your first question in five and a half years, we've never moved a home once uh, we will enter into um, master services agreements or master leases. Master leases means that we take down both uh, the lot and the home rent and we bifurcate and send the lot rent back to the community owner. We'll do a master services agreement where that community owner could, could uh, take down both and bifurcate and send us the home rent. Or um, under an MSA, Master Services Agreement, that we can do it each and uh, each to our own. They can collect the lot, and we can collect the rent, <clears throat> and keep it separate that way. So there's three really ways to pull this off in the master lease or those Master Services Agreement. There is language that is uh, in covenants that define uh, what both parties are able and obligated to do. So it does give protections on both sides. You know, typically we'll have a, a a max rent increase of 5% in those agreements, but, you know, we're flexible. It just depends on the community owner and the situation. Some of these, as you know, are highly undermarketed because they've been underserved by professional uh, people that can really uh, follow the market. Um, and so you have bigger gaps. And so the numbers might change in those agreements. Um, so that's kind of the layout of how we would construct the situation. And yes, to your point on, you know, we work really good with park owners that have either already recapped agency uh, because we can come in behind them with their long-term agreements then. And, um, and as long as they don't have stipulations in there, which most of them don't, then we can own those park on homes. There are others that won't, won't or don't want to qualify or um, aren't in that situation. And so then we're a perfect fit for their park on homes and freeing up capital for them to go buy more homes and put on their empty lots in their parks or to go buy more parks themselves or to lower their debt service coverage ratios. And, uh, you know, so we do our best, you know, to work with them. Ideally, obviously we would love, you know, my understanding is a 35% threshold in, in, uh, in uh, um, Fannie and 25% in Freddie. And, you know, ideally um, we would love to get uh, rubber stamped one day by the agencies to say, okay, for you've got a great park, you want to recap it but you have a third party owner in there. Mm, let's check it and see what that means. Uh, Go Fresh Homes is behind that. Oh, we know Go Fresh Homes well. 
And we uh, know that that's not going to be any concern for us on this recap and we'll stamp it and you're on your way. If we, if we get there one day and I get it, that's it. You, if you get there, you're going to be rich because you're going to be, area gonna it. yeah. it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard uphill battle, but you might be able to. Um, and there's a lot of people right the, in the, in the, in the, under, in the, uh, in the business of financing through Freddie and Fannie that would love to see us get there because it's only oh, going sure. to help, help them too. So there's a lot of tailwind around the idea and the concept, but I get it. It's uh, much harder to get there than it is to talk about it. There's been some progress. I mean, not on, not on particularly what you're doing, but UMH, they were able to get financing recently uh, on a park on home portfolio, well above 35%, I think it was 65%. To my knowledge, they're the only exception. And they have a, a you know pretty long prestigious history um, and, you know, well-capitalized REIT that they probably got, they got a little different financing than the average bear, but they were able to pull that off um, of late. So that, that may be some, some tailwinds, as you mentioned there. Um, and, I, and I think to that one, um, yes, I think they got in, uh, it would be the way I put it, the way I've learned. And part of the issue is that um, there's a discretionary uh, element to the agencies Sure. And basically, it's all tied back to mission credit and whether the regulators give them that mission credit. And so if it doesn't work uh, back and get stamped by the regulators and they can't get mission credit for it, typically all their discretionary money goes into a lot of class A stuff. Um, so that is the challenge is getting the regulators to approve it as mission credit back to the agencies. And then the agencies could have more freedom to, you know, expand their thinking around uh, chattel. No, it makes sense. Yeah, the, we have to get those waivers on a regular basis, different different waivers, different things, whether it's it's hard to get below 50 lots, but you, some, some loan packages, they need three, some areas they need a minimum $3 million loan. I just got approval yesterday on one in our loan, especially in the price of the park and the LTV, it's only going to be a $2.6 million loan, but they're going to give us credit in this market because of some other factors. Um, so you can ask for those waivers. We used to have to ask for waivers for COVID reserves. They've now removed COVID reserves. Um, if you agree to the tenant site lease protections on your fanning loans, you get more favorable pricing, you get reimbursed on some of your third-party reports, and it, it seems to be a little easier to get past underwriting. Freddie Mac's now requiring those tenant site lease protections, so I would imagine Fannie's going to be right behind them on that. Um, but we'll see. Um, but yeah, it's, there's there's definitely some movement afoot. Um, we'll see how it goes. Tell me, Chris, what if the home? Will you take my free homes, my handyman specials? Will you take my rehabs? Will you take my 1975 trailer? Or do you have age restrictions or quality restrictions? Yeah, typically we like 1998s and newer. Uh, we like rents 400 north. Doesn't mean we won't look lot, at lot rents oh, 400 oh, north. Yeah, sorry, I should clarify home rents. 400 home, north. Is that, is that the home rent net above the lot rent or is that the all-in rent? Net above the lot rent. Okay. Yep. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll dip into the 300s from time to time, but ideally, again, if you're asking me what is ideal, you yeah. know, 400 north, 1998s and newer, you know, geography, we're pretty, you know, we're pretty open. We, we, um, we'll look anywhere and, um, yeah, that's kind of some of our, uh, we, oh, we, we do not uh, take on deferred maintenance. Um, we do not speculate. We do not, uh, we get asked all the time, you know, do we, we uh, take empty lots and buy homes and put them on there and speculate and then rent them ourselves. Typically our portfolios that we buy are 94 to 98% pre-leased. 
uh, we, we absorb that uh, agreement, whatever uh, they have with that tenant at the time when it's, when it expires, then we turn them into our own, roll them into our own program. Can't, it can be month to month rent to rent or a month, sorry, month to month rent. It can be um, LTOs. Uh, you know, so there's a, you know, RTOs. It could be, uh, it could be a number of ways that we do this. We haven't originated yet. We're looking at that. We're getting kind of tapped on the shoulder to, to uh, think about that space, but we haven't gone there yet. Originate meaning sales, like an MLO? Correct. Mortgage loan engineer. Okay. Got it. Yeah. That's a whole nother, whole nother process for sure. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, well, great. Lots of, lots of good information. What, what, what lessons have you learned in this or what, what advice can you give to others? I mean, who own park owned homes and maybe, you know, there's obviously the bias can sort of sell them to me, but besides that, as, as, as someone like me, I own park owned homes. What lessons have you learned in, in your as operation that you can share with me and, and our audience? Well, I mean, I think there's lessons to be learned every day in this business, right? And things like SECO, that conference that just took place, um, you know, you learn from the industry experts that have been in this space for a long time. But at the same time, I think, uh, you know, it requires new, in order to push an industry forward, it requires pioneers. And as much as, you know, the George Allen's of the, of the world are iconic in the business, it requires, you know, some of these younger people that are coming into the space as well, pushing the envelope and doing things differently. I mean, I respect UMH uh, for doing that, you know, that Memphis Blues 100% rental project uh, down in Memphis. I, I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, what I've, you know, obviously we're in, a, we're in a unique space with the length of time to get a home and all of the supply chain issues and, you know, manufacturers running to Home Depot to get parts to fulfill building their homes. I mean, I've heard crazy stuff like that. So that's very different. And, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I haven't heard great solutions other than robotics and, you know, greater labor supply to be able to fix the challenge. Right. I mean, growing, uh, my understanding is there are 400 uh, uh, factories in 2000, there's 128 of them now. So there's a major compression, there's a major uh, consolidation of those manufacturers. And I think, you know, it seems like those independents have got to still continue to rise up but the challenge for them of building new factories to meet the supply is twofold, right? I mean, eventually things turn and then you don't want to be overbuilt on factories. And then uh, secondly, you can't find the labor to supply them. So how does this problem get solved and getting better? I haven't heard any answers on it yet. So when you look at the development side of things um, and pioneers, you know, younger pioneers or just pioneers period pushing the envelope on, on zoning and, and um, you know, permitting in municipalities, to me, that's where the battle is going to be won or lost because, um, you know, if we can continue to find new ways uh, to push the envelope to get these municipalities to embrace what MHC looks like today versus yesterday, uh, the growth in, um, in uh, development is going to be uh, oper very opportunistic. But, you know, you better have five years of equity behind it and cash flow to be able to support a project. And especially with the length of time these days. So it's complicated. And so it makes it hard for pioneers to push the envelope to get greater access to more, uh, you know, to truly solve the affordable housing crisis. <clears throat> I mean, MHC, you know, MH is, is, a, is a great way to do it. But at the end of the day, 
um, it's going to require other things to happen in order for it to really solve a problem like affordable housing. Yeah, it's definitely a big problem. It's going to, it's going to take lots of things to go right. I mean, it's, it's not going to happen by the government. It's not going to happen by a single company or a single manufacturer. It's going to take a lot of things going together. Labor supply is, is huge. I know it. I mean, that's a lot of that's macroeconomic government policy. I think that's hurting that right now. Um, people are paid to stay home. They don't want to work. We've got guys, we're hiring, we've got ads posted for contractors all the time. Can't find, yeah. can't, find thought, can't find transport. I talked to a manufacturer, yeah, the transport, they need 150,000 truckers purportedly. Um, but, you know, I talked to a manufacturer about a project we were looking at and developing down in Florida. And that manufacturer said, I can even, I can't even talk to you until December of 22. And then I can just talk to you. I can't really take your order. And, you know, I think his storyline was essentially, you know, we pay sign-on bonuses. We pay uh, for Ubers to and from, we pay for lunches, we pay for uh, retention bonuses, we increase their hourly continually, and I have to hire six for every two I can keep. It doesn't matter what we throw at it, we cannot retain labor. And part of it, he said, is that you know, they want these, these jobs that have air conditioning behind them, and our factories, you know, they're hot to work in. And so he's like, it's just a challenge. Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a challenge. I don't see that part getting, getting any better in the, in the short run. And you mentioned the factories. I was at that George Allen event too. And they were talking, some of the manufacturers were talking about that the shortage of factories, consolidation of the industry, supply chain, it's just problem after problem. Well, hopefully uh, you can help us solve one of the challenges, not a problem of park ownership, which is the park owned home uh, maintenance obligation. Um, what other information on that? is worth sharing that we should cover here today. Um, we've talked about age. We've talked about model. We've talked about lease contract. Um, we'll look at both single wide and double wide. We should say yeah. that. Yeah. Single wide and double wide. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. I would, I, I would basically just say, you know, what I would want anybody listening here, that's a community owner that owns park owned homes um, that I think it's just worth having a conversation. You should reach out to us. And let us have a conversation. You know, we typically come in and we like to buy at a 10 to 12 cap. Um, and, you know, part of it, how, how do we price it? A lot of people ask us, how do we value the home? That can go a number of different ways. It can go, you know, through NADA, through data comp, through, you know, dealer, dealer market, market value itself. It's just an agreement we have with the sellers. You know, we come to an agreement on that. There's a bit of an arbitrage there for us taking those homes, uh, you know, off their hand as well. But at the end of the day, I think the solution, um, most of what we've heard is highly embraced. And, you know, people are encouraged that we're in the business uh, of doing this. So it requires some thinking um, to be able to look at all ends of the spectrum of what happens when we own third-party homes um, in their park. Um, but once they get over enough of that nuance, you know, they're usually amenable to uh, the transaction. And, you know, I should point out that, you know, we're not park owners necessarily, but we do own a park that we bought with, um, for the reason that uh, somebody called us on, on 77 of, the, of their park owned homes. And that basically led to, well, why don't you, uh, why don't you maybe make an offer on our park? And we did, they accepted and we closed. So, you know, we have another situation going on like that now. So, 
you know, some of these conversations are kind of interesting on where they lead to, but we don't lead with uh, the park buying business, but we certainly have an entity set up to, in order to accommodate that. Because again, that's another way for us just to roll up a lot of park on homes into our inventory. That's great. And now for your, your core business at GoFresh, are you guys taking on additional investors? You mentioned debt and equity on these homes. Because as the park owner, maybe this is before we started recording, you were telling me that you'll pay, you'll pay cash for them, cash to me, and I don't care if you get a bank loan or not. Um, are you still raising equity? And what does that look like? Yeah, so our first fund was a couple million. Uh, our, our second fund is 30 million. We have 5 million left in equity that we would take on. We pay an 8% preferred return on that. And, um, and, uh, and then we'll leverage that, uh, fund as well. And then our third fund will be 50 to hundred million on a bunch of different stuff that we're looking at. We have a lot of interested parties in that, you know, a lot of institutional money. They like the clean fund, uh, outside of, you know, multiple, we, we have about 42 LPs in our, in our fund too right now. So, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, we pay on a monthly basis, uh, the, the 8% annualized on a monthly basis cash, um, and, uh, you know, they, they, uh, they retain, the LPs retain 80% of our waterfall as well on exit. Excellent. What does that end up penciling out to on a cash on cash or an IRR calculation? 12 to 14 cash on cash, 20 IRR. Okay. So yes, a strong, strong yield for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and you guys are presumably under your lease agreements. If your tenant moves out, you still have to pay the lot rent. That's correct. And, and sometimes we'll have uh, abatements to accommodate, you know, a term, uh, it just depends on the structure of the agreement and you know, what that relationship looks like. So a meaning you may get 30 days free every time a tenant moves out, something like that. Yeah. And, you know, we have a, you know, different than Alani, I would say, you know, we have a mutually, uh, 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 mutually agreeable reason to make sure that that house is rented. Right. Absolutely. Both for the, the park owner and for us. And, and, and rented to somebody that is going to care about it and take take good care. I mean, the Lonnie dealer, you mentioned earlier that Lonnie dealers sometimes can move a home out. You guys could, you know, unless you're contractually tied, you could as well. I know you said you haven't. Um, a Lonnie dealer typically is going to buy it cheap, fix it up, and sell it on terms. Sell it on like a lease to own or seller finance deal. And then their spread is, you know, if I buy it for 5,000, put five in it, I got 10,000 basis. I'll sell it to the next guy for 20,000 with only 3,000 down. And then I'll pay the lot rent. But I, I probably don't care about the condition of the home as much because my goal is at the end of the payments, it's their home, it's their problem. Versus if you're a park-owned homeowner, if you're a go-fresh, you're going to own the home, you certainly care that the home is being taken care of well because it's still your home. And you still, you know, you're going to get it back at some point. People's not gonna, People probably won't rent the same house forever. <clears throat> so you don't want to have a beat up house when you start over again. That's correct. Yep. Okay. Well, Chris, this has been good. Where can people find you or how can we reach out to you? Uh, they can email me at CM for Chris Murray at gofreshhomes.com. That's two H's on gofreshhomes.com. Um, and they can certainly call me if they want to 612 597 That's my cell. Just give me a holler and we can chat and see if there's any ways we can work together and help each other. And uh, again, it's all about moving the industry forward. You know, we're, we're partnered with a entertainer and uh, country music guy named John Rich. You might have heard before. And <clears throat> so John grew up in a double wide trailer from 1980 to 88 Amarillo, Texas. And so he has a huge passion for this industry. We've tried to move the needle on a national spokesperson conversation. There's 
you know, there's always a groundswell that I have learned since being in this industry about that. It seems to be a major headwind for people to solve for because not all the constituents can get on the same page to be able to do it, but everybody seems to want it. And to me, that's a, that's a pioneering effort that, um, you know, is out there ready to happen if uh, we can get the right parties together. So anyway. It's, I mean, John, you think is the guy for that? He's the, he's the guy that you want to get. I know he's obviously he's famous. He's the guy you think could be the spokesperson or is it somebody who's in the industry and he's just an, an example of someone who lived in a park? Well, I think it's an interesting uh, potential um, because he's organic, right? He's not a man to use a better, couldn't use a better word, but man, it's not manufactured in the industry. He just doesn't come in from the outside and say, oh, I like this industry. He lived in it. And mm-hmm. he knows what it's like to watch his mom and dad, you know, raise the family inside the home. He has a huge passion, uh, you know, for manufactured housing. So uh, because he has the strong ability to, uh, you know, to entertain, and he also has an audience that he, you know, he's frequently on TV, um, you know, he has a, and he has a huge social following. I mean, he's got a great medium to be able to tell the MH story uh, from a passionate, organic way uh, if the right uh, parties get behind it and push it. I mean, you know, we, we saw at one point the opportunity to build a repository of content that could be generically produced around John with mis- messaging around all sorts of stuff, including zoning and permitting or the homes themselves and the, you know, the, the old perception and the new look and new actual, and then allow companies to buy into that repository and slap their own logo on it and market in their region, whatever they wanted using that content. It would be highly professional and then highly uh, strategic messaging but we just haven't been able to get there yet. Interesting. No, that's cool. Good to hear. Appreciate the work you guys are doing, moving the industry forward. Yeah. Thanks. And thanks for all you do with your podcast. I know it educates everybody who has a passion around this space. So thanks for you uh, even putting your neck out as a pioneer in the podcast space (laughs) in MH space. Well, I appreciate it. It's, it's been a labor of love. So it's been fun. So anyway, thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. Yeah. You too, Ferg. Have a great rest of your day. You too. You've been listening to the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Ferd Neiman. Ready to learn more? Go to www.themobilehomelawyer.com for free resources and materials to help you succeed. If you love the podcast, go to Apple Podcasts, give us your review, and subscribe today. Thank you for listening. Neither the Supreme Court of Missouri nor the Missouri Bar reviews nor approves certifying organizations or specialist designations. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements.